Welcome to Walking in Faith with Pastor Rob Currington. This podcast is dedicated to helping develop lifelong seekers of the Kingdom of God. Each week, Pastor Rob helps bring God's message for living to those seeking a richer and more Christ-filled life. Now let's join Pastor Rob as he shares this week's message. Good morning. Would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, we stand before you this morning thankful that we can behold the wondrous mystery of your goodness and your salvation. Father, in light of that, we call upon you this morning because that all full, full, the, all the fullness of wisdom and light is found in you. Father, we ask that you mercifully enlighten us by the power of your Holy Spirit this morning with the true understanding of your word and that you would give us grace to receive it in true fear and humility. Father, we ask that we would be taught by your word this morning to place our trust only in you and to serve and honor you as we ought so that we would glorify your holy name in all of our living, in everything that we do, and edify our neighbors by our good example, giving to you, Father, the love and obedience which faithful servants owe their masters and children, their parents, since it has pleased you graciously to receive us among the number of your servants and children. We ask all this, the power of your Holy Spirit, by the name, on the name of your Son, Jesus. Amen. Amen. Well, Antarctica, I've been thinking about this a lot recently because I recently heard an interview with a man who spent some time there. Now, Antarctica, to refresh your memory, it isn't, it's an island, it's a continent, 921 miles wide. An average temperature of negative 25 with dips down into negative 90. Okay, average winds of about 60 miles per hour. On the inland areas of the continent, there's no living things. No plants, no animals, no birds, nothing. There's nothing. Just white everywhere. At times, the snow blows so hard that you can't see anything but white. And until recently, no one had crossed Antarctica unaided. One guy had done it with some kites and some wind-powered type stuff. But no one had been able to just walk across the continent. But this all changed this last December. A 33-year-old American man, his name is Colin O'Brady, set out to accomplish this 932-mile journey. And he, he did. He made it across all by himself, pulling a 375-pound sled of supplies. Yeah. So it took him about 52 days. To, to walk across. I mean, he had some cross-country skis, but uh, most of the journey is actually uphill, so that doesn't help much. Unaided, all by himself, 52 days. Can you imagine what it would be like out there? Completely isolated. Think, think, of the, think of the gravity of the situation. Every moment is life and death. Now, how did he accomplish this? I mean, of course, he's one of those guys that when you watch, like, hear an interview, he's like, oh, you know, just you know, did it. But uh, 
He accomplished it with a lot of planning and a lot of preparation and a lot of training. Uh, Many people have actually set out to do this before. Uh, Most have died. Some have been rescued. But he spent about a year getting ready for this journey. So he spent a full year planning uh, every single part of the journey. He, He spent a year working out exactly how much food he would need and what kind of food and how he was going to prepare it. Um, he, he spent a year working out exactly what supplies he needed, how much he would need. He, I mean, they measured and weighed the sled down to the, just the pound to make sure it was exactly uh, what he needed. Now, why did he take all this time? Well, because he had a healthy fear of the environment of Antarctica. He, he realized how high the stakes were, and he knew that he had to work out every detail if he was going to survive this ordeal. He knew that he had to intentionally train his body and his mind for this feat. And again, he did this all because he knew the gravity and difficulty of the task that lay before him that he wanted to accomplish. All of this in a hostile environment that opposed his every step. We face a similar task. The, the, the Christian life, in a way, is like Colin O'Brady's trek across Antarctica. We live in a world that is hostile to our faith. The stakes are high, life and death. We live in a world that is opposed to our message and our mission. We face an enemy that is much stronger and much worse than the barren desert, Antarctica is actually a desert, uh, of Antarctica. So what is it going to take for us to be successful? What is it going to take for us to be faithful? What is it going to take for us to endure our journey? What what is it going to take for us to run the race successfully in this hostile world? Well, this morning in our text, the Apostle Paul will answer those exact questions. You see, the the Philippian church was surrounded by a society that was hostile to them as well. Paul writes this letter in large part to encourage them to keep going, keep going, keep running the race, keep taking one step forward, be faithful, endure, continue in faithfulness even in the midst of opposition. This is why Paul had called them in chapter 1 verse 27 to let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel of Christ. Discharge your duties as heavenly citizens in a way that is worthy of the gospel of Christ. And everything we've seen in Philippians that has come after has essentially been a further explanation of what that means, what a, what a life lived in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ looks like. Last week in 2, 1 through 5, we saw that it's, it's marked by a community marked by unity and humility. In 2, 6 through 11, we saw that that this this mindset was the mindset of Christ. It was why he was willing to humiliate himself on our behalf. And in our text this morning, Paul continues his encouragement to the Philippian church, exhorting them to get to work. This is the logical response. This comes right after 2, 6 through 11. This is the logical response to Christ's great sacrifice on our behalf. It's time to get to work. We are to work out the truth of God in our lives. What exactly does this look like? 
That's what we're going to see this morning. Let's take a look at God's Word here. Go ahead and turn in your Bibles to Philippians chapter 2. Philippians chapter 2. And we're going to start at verse 9, just to give ourselves a little bit of context. context. Philippians chapter 2, starting in verse 9. Follow along in your Bibles. Paul writes this, speaking of Christ. Therefore, God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow. In heaven, on earth, and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord, to the glory of God the Father. Now here comes our response. Therefore, because of this, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, so now, not only as in my presence, but much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who works in you, both to will and to work for his good pleasure. Do all things without grumbling or disputing that you may be blameless and innocent children of God without blemish in the midst of a crooked and twisted generation among whom you shine as lights in the world, holding fast to the word of life. So that in the day of Christ, I may be proud that I did not run in vain or labor in vain. Even if I am to be poured out as a drink offering upon the sacrificial offering of your faith, I am glad and rejoice with you all. Likewise, you should also should be glad and rejoice with me. Now, what we're going to see in this text this morning are four aspects of work. There's four aspects of work that we're going to see here. And the first one we're going to see is the prelude to work is love. The prelude to work is love. Look, look at the beginning of verse 12. Look how Paul starts this section of exhortation. So he's just shown them Christ. He's just exalted Christ on the cross before them. And now he says, therefore, so he's connecting it back to what he just said. Therefore, my beloved, in, in light of Christ's sacrifice, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, so now, not only in my presence, but much more in my absence. This, this is Paul's prelude. This is how he begins. Before he even gets to the command that he's going to give them, he begins with encouragement, with love. What does this tell us? Well, it tells us that Paul's tone here is one of encouragement. It's one of love. This is, this is not a, a stern rebuke or, or, a, or a harsh correction like we find in a book like Galatians. No, this is, this is an encouragement. It's, it's a loving word from their dear friend and pastor. Whatever Paul is about to command them, he knows that they will obey him, he says, because he knows them well. And he knows that they are a faithful church, humble and willing to listen to his instructions. He knows that the Philippians are, are true believers who have repented and put their faith and trust in Jesus. And so he knows that they will humbly heed his command. And you see, this is the, this is the biblical order always. Grace and love come before the commands. Grace and love come before the commands. And that, that's not just Paul's thing. This has always been the truth. Grace and love always come before the rules. Think about the beginning of the Ten Commandments. Right before any of the Ten Commandments start, God says this, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. And then he begins with the first, you shall have no other gods before me. Before God gave the Israelites any of the commandments, he saved and delivered them. That's grace and love. 
Grace and love always precede the commands. And this is important because it helps us to understand God's commandments with the right tone. What God commands here in this text is is not a way to work your way into his love or a way to work work for your salvation, but it's the right response to his love that has already been placed on the believer. It's been won for you at the cross of Christ that Paul just talked about. So it's important to hear that the prelude to work is love. That's the tone that Paul is setting for this passage. That's his setup for this. But but the command is next. So what is the command? That's the second thing we're going to see is the command is to work. The command is to work. Paul encourages the Philippians to continuously work out the knowledge of Christ into every area of their life. It's kind of like a, like kneading a piece of dough. You've got to work it out and knead it. You take the truth of God and work it into every area of your life. Look at the second half of verse 12. This is where he says it. This is the command. It's kind of the main section of this passage. Paul says, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. Now, I want to note some things about this command. The first is that the, the tense of the Greek word here, the, the verb that's translated work out, is in a form that it, the action is continuous. So it's something that you're, you're not just going to do once. It's something that you're going to continue to do all of your life. It's continual step, a continual process. This working out is something you're going to need to work out continuously. It's a lifelong process that is not finished until, Paul says later, the day of Christ. Until you die or Jesus returns. The call to work out your own salvation is, is the call to grow in your Christian life, in your faith. It is the command to pursue spiritual growth. It is the command to seek to know Christ and make him known. Now, in some sense, this idea that that it's a process, that it's a continuing, ongoing thing is encouraging to me because, you see, Christ is calling us to pursue him in our lives. He's calling us to work out our own salvation knowing full well That it is a process. Meaning he's not just saying, why aren't you done already? He understands that it's a process and that's what he calls us to. And that's encouraging. Because I think that that relieves a bit of the pressure for us to just feel like we need to have it figured out right now today. That's not what Paul's calling us to. In other words, it's okay to be a work in process. Progress. God is not surprised nor angry that you are not perfect yet. God is calling us to the process with him. But he is calling us to the process. He is calling us to grow. He is calling you today to work out your own salvation in fear and trembling. But, but what does this mean? What, let's dive a little bit deeper into this, this work out your own salvation. It means that you are working to make your outward life match your inward convictions. It's a call for the Christian's life to match their beliefs. In other words, it's basically the same thing as as the call to live your life in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ. One commentator says this, and I think this is helpful. He says, thus, believers are to work out or to express in tangible actions, thoughts, beliefs, and attitudes the inward reality of the salvation that God has granted in Jesus Christ. That's exactly it. 
We are to work out in our life, in our beliefs, our actions, our attitudes, the inward reality of the salvation that God has granted to us in Jesus Christ. That is the call, right? And that, and that makes sense. This, is, this, is not, this passage is not saying, if you're not perfect yet, that means you're not saved. That's not what it's saying. It's saying that because you are saved, now work that truth out into your life. Join in the process. You see, this is a call away from passivity and to activity in the Christian life. It's a call out of stagnation and into maturation. It is essentially Paul saying to us here that the Christian life is not just one of sitting around and doing nothing. There's work to be done. It's it's time to get to work. It's time to seek to know Christ deeper and to seek to make him known in the world. Work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. This, This is the correct response to the glory of Christ. You are being called this morning to take intentional action that will lead to growth. Think about it like, it's like a, think about the image of a farmer, right? A farmer cultivates the seed that is planted by watering and fertilizing. He goes around and takes the weeds out so that the plants have more room to grow, so that there's a healthy plant. In the same way, we are to cultivate the gospel seed that has been planted in our hearts by using the varied methods and means of grace that God has given to us. Now, we can't just make the growth happen but we make room for it. This ensures that the truth of Christ will be worked out in our lives from the inside out. And that is what you are called to this morning. It's it's what I'm called to. It's what this text is saying to us this morning. Now, I, I don't know where each one of you is in your walk with God this morning, but my fear is that there are some whose, whose spiritual growth has lapsed into passivity. You've become a a spiritual couch potato, so to speak. Your life has lapsed into stagnation. So I want you to think about that for a second. Think about your life. Think about your your spiritual growth. Think about your faith. In other words, are, are are you doing anything in your life right now to facilitate your growth, your spiritual growth, in your character, in your actions, in your thoughts, in your beliefs? Do you, do you have any plan to grow? Are you taking any intentional actions in your life to grow? What are you doing to make space for growth in your Christian life? Or have you just gone to autopilot? Have you, have you lapsed into stagnation? And you, and you might say, well, I, I do come to church, so that's one thing, right? And I fully agree. That is the first step. Gathering together with the church is essential to our growth. So in some sense, if you're here this morning, I'm preaching to the choir, but there's, there's more to the Christian life than just one hour a week, right? I mean, think about it this way. Let's do some math. That's always fun. There's, there's 168 hours in a week, 168 hours in a week. So one hour out of 168, is that a good growth plan? No, it just doesn't. I mean, it doesn't make any sense, right? Just mathematically speaking. Let's put it to a year. So 52 weeks in a year. So 52 hours. In a year, there's 8,760 hours. Now, obviously, granted, it's more than just math. But but just looking at the math should help us to see that just showing up for one hour is not 
the end of spiritual growth. It's absolutely an important and key step. But look at what scripture teaches about the opposition that we face. The the powers of hell are arrayed against Christians. The scriptures say that, that the devil is prowling around like a roaring lion seeking to devour believers. And one hour a week is just not a good strategy for growth. It's a good start, but if that's the entirety of our plan, there's not going to be much growth. I mean, think about it this way. And honestly, some of us give more time and effort to finishing a Netflix series than our spiritual growth. I mean, and I hate being that guy, but there's there's some truth to that. I'm preaching to myself as well. Think about the things that you give time and effort to, right? Now, I'm not saying just go home and burn your TV, although it probably wouldn't be a bad thing. But just, just, just contemplate in your own mind and heart where your time and effort goes. My, my, my aim is not guilt, but, but conviction is good. And, and it's, the point is not, well, you should be doing this, so you better go do it. The point is, do, do we realize what we're missing out on? I mean, honestly, at the end of the day, in light of eternity, in light of what we say we believe about Jesus, what do we think is going to bear more fruit in our lives and in our happiness and in our joy, right? I hope the answer is obvious. And again, I want to be clear. I'm not saying that you need to go out and earn your salvation or that God doesn't love you if you watch Netflix. That's not what I'm saying, right? The call is to work out your salvation, not work for your salvation, Jesus worked for our salvation. But this text is saying that because you have been saved, now it's time to get to work. Knowing the grace of God should cause us to get off the couch and into the word and into the world. In fact, the scriptures teach us that one of the reasons God saved us was so that we could do his work. I want to show you this in two important verses. There's an important verse here in Ephesians 2, 8 through 10. Now, everyone, we love to read Ephesians 2, 8 and 9. It says this, For by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. Okay, so salvation is not a result of works. But look at verse 10. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. So so when you are saved, this text is telling us, God has created you in Christ Jesus. In In other words, saved you for good works, not by good works, but to do stuff, which God has prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. That's an important thing to realize. It's, Paul's essentially saying the same thing in our text at Philippians. There's another one in Titus chapter 2, verse 11 through 14. Here again, we see grace. Grace always precedes the command, but watch what happens here. For the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation for all people. What does the grace do? Training us to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in the present age, waiting for our blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. Now, here God gives the reason, who gave himself for us to redeem us from all, um, to redeem us from all lawlessness and 
to purify for himself a people for his own possession who are zealous for good works. You see, God has saved us, not just so he could save us and we can go to heaven one day. God has saved us and bought us to make us a people who are zealous for his work, zealous for good works, to know Christ and make him known in the world. We have been saved for this purpose. It's not an option. It's not like, well, okay, look, I'm just saved. Then there's those other radical Christians that are like saved and then like do stuff for Jesus. No, this, all Christians are called to this, right? The book of James gives a name to a type of faith that, that just says, well, I'm saved and now I'm just going to take it easy. He calls that type of faith dead faith that doesn't save anybody. True faith manifests itself in works. Not, not, not a perfect life, but there's a life to it. It's joining in the process with God to grow, to know Christ and make him known. Work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. Take intentional steps towards growth. Take intentional steps towards obedience. In other words, keep going. Paul's telling the Philippians, keep doing what you're doing. Don't stop. Endure. Now, how are we to go about working out our salvation? What, what manner are we to, what, what should characterize this? Well, Paul says, with fear and trembling, which seems kind of strange. With, with fear and trembling, well, what is that supposed to mean? Does this mean that we should pursue growth, always concerned that if we make a mistake that we'll lose our salvation? Is that what we're supposed to be scared of? No, that's not what Paul's saying here. Does it mean that we should pursue growth, scared and always wondering if God's just going to hit us with a lightning bolt? No. So what does it mean? It means that we understand the gravity of the situation. It means that we take this seriously. It's like Colin O'Brady training for Antarctica. This is life and death. He, he can't afford to be lazy in his training or he's going to die. The stakes are high. It means we appreciate that. We, we understand how serious this is. To work out your salvation with fear and trembling means to do it with, with reverence and awe. This is the attitude of the person who understands the seriousness and gravity of the situation. The stakes are eternity. The, the weight of the word, the, the weakness of the flesh, the seriousness and sinfulness of sin, the power of temptation that we face, the strength of the enemy who opposes us, but the power of the Holy Spirit who lives in us. It means that we take our faith seriously and not just in a word, not just in by, well, I'm here, but in the way that we live our lives, by the effort that we make. Not to earn God's love, but to work it out in our life. That's what God's calling us to this morning. That's what God's calling you to this morning. He's calling you to take your faith seriously. So think about it for a second. Are you taking your faith seriously? Or has it just become a routine, a, a Sunday habit? Has it become stagnant? Or are you intentional? about your spiritual growth? Are you putting effort in to grow? Well, wherever you are this morning, wherever you are on this kind of spectrum, I want to encourage you, work out your salvation with fear and trembling. Now, what might this look like practically? Well, simple, make a plan. Be intentional. Set aside intentional time. Make 
space in your life for the means of grace that God has provided for our growth. Take action. What things has God provided? Prayer. Prayer is one of them. And prayer, prayer, is, prayer is one of those things that's so simple yet so complicated at the same time. Our, our flesh just hates to pray. And Satan tempts us away from prayer. But there's, there's simple ways we can organize this into our lives. Get up 10 minutes earlier. Spend 10 minutes in prayer every day. Just start with a small step. One small step of obedience. Work out your salvation. Fellowship. God has called us to fellowship. Make a plan this week to take a friend out to coffee or lunch or something and discuss spiritual things. Discuss, hey, how are you doing? How can I be praying for you? Here's how you can be praying for me. That's fellowship. That's one of the means God has given us. But fighting sin. What sin do you need to take action against this morning? What what sin have you been taking a lax attitude to this morning? Grab somebody before you leave. Tell them and just pray with them. A Bible reading, right? Make, make a plan. Make a plan. Don't just, well, okay, I should do it. I, okay, you, we all know how that goes. Make a plan. Make a plan. Grab a friend and say, hey, let's do a plan together. Let's read along. And then you can talk about it. Bible reading and fellowship together. Coming to church, you're here. This is such an important part of our spiritual growth. Show up early, leave late, encourage people. Pay attention. Turn off your phone while you're here and, and just lock into what God is doing. Serve others. Giving. Intentionally setting aside money to give to the Lord. This is one of the means of grace He's provided for us. Evangelism. Pray for your friends and family who need Jesus. Share the message of Christ with them. It's just making simple steps of obedience to the things that God has called us. Make a plan. Put some intentionality behind it. Schedule it. Move things around so you can do it. Incorporate them into activities that you're already doing. Seek to know Christ more deeply and to make him known in the world. This is God's will for all of us because the stakes are infinitely high. So so work out your salvation with fear and trembling. But that's a, that's a tall order. That that's a, sounds like a heavy burden, right? If Paul is trying to encourage us, it doesn't sound very encouraging at first glance. It sounds exhausting, How can we accomplish this? Well, Paul answers that in the next verse. Look at verse 13 where we see the power to work. The power to work. Paul says, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling for or because it is God who works in you both to will and to work for his good pleasure. So how are we going to do this? By the power of God. He is working in us both to will and to work for his good pleasure. In other words, for his delight. I love the way the NET translation translate this. They translate this verse like this. Work out your own salvation with fear and trembling for the one bringing forth in you both the desire and the effort for the sake of his good pleasure is God. The the implications of this are huge. All of the things we just talked about, the intentionality, the work, the spiritual growth, All of this is accomplished through God working in us. He is at work in us and among us. That means that as you seek to be faithful to the command of God, God is not watching from heaven and saying, hey, I hope you don't screw it up this time. All right? Well, good grief. Why can't you just get it together already? I told you to work it out. Why aren't you working it out? That's not what's happening. God God isn't isn't just 
sitting there saying, well, what are you working at me for? I told you what to do, right? I saved you, isn't that enough? What else do you want? That's not God's attitude. This text is telling us that God is dwelling in us through his Holy Spirit, transforming our hearts both to desire and to work. Now that's a massive encouragement. Without verse 13, the command of verse 12 would be overwhelming. It would be impossible. It would provoke despair. But with verse 13, the command to work in verse 12 becomes a delight. Why? Because God is working in us to accomplish everything he wants to accomplish, to will and to work. This is both the internal and the external aspects of our lives. God is transforming our hearts. He's he's giving us new desires. And God is transforming our work, making it effective in the world. God is working in you. Paul describes this experience perfectly in Colossians. In Colossians chapter 1, 28 and 29, we can see this tension. Because there's a tension here. What, what, am I doing the work or God's doing the work? The answer is yes. Look at Paul in Colossians chapter 1. He says, speaking of Christ, Him we proclaim, warning everyone and teaching everyone with all wisdom that we may present everyone mature in Christ. Now watch what he says. For this I toil, struggling with all his energy that he powerfully works within me. So Paul says, I'm toiling, I'm struggling, I'm striving with all of the energy that God is working within me. Paul says, I'm I'm working as hard as I can. I'm toiling as hard as I can because God's energy is working powerfully through me. That's, That's because Paul understood what God is saying here. See, the, the fact that God was at work didn't leave, lead Paul into a like, lazy passivity. It didn't lead Paul to just say, well, hey, God will do the work what God wants to do the work. I'm just going to hang out. No, Paul said, because God is at work, now I can get to work and I know that it will be effective. God is the one doing it all. Led him to work even harder because he knew that God was at work in him, both to will and to work. And this fact should have the same effect on us. This is our motivation to work out our fear, our salvation in fear and trembling. This is the motivation. This is the the fuel that that pushes our spiritual pursuits forward. So think about some of the things we just talked about. Are, Are you struggling to read your Bible? Well, this fuels you to keep going because God is at work. Even if you can't see the growth, God is at work in you. Are you struggling to learn to pray? Well, keep working at it. Keep going. God is at work in you. Are you struggling to fight sin in your life? Keep going. Keep pushing. God is at work in you. Are you struggling to share the gospel? Keep working at it. God is at work in you. This is the fuel that allows us to keep going, knowing that we're not earning God's love, but that he's working in us to will and to work. And this verse tells us that not only is it God's work in us, but it is his delight to be at work in us. He does this all, Paul says, for his good pleasure. God enjoys being at work in us. Think about that for a second. It is God's pleasure to be at work in your life. It's his pleasure to be at work in your life. It's his pleasure to transform you into the image of Christ. That should relieve the pressure that says, I have to be this or God won't love me. No, it's his pleasure to transform you into the image of Christ. He's he's not begrudging about it. He knows your weakness. He knows your struggles and yet he joyfully is working 
in you, both to will and to work for his good pleasure. What, what, what an amazing truth. And the best part about this is it frees us up to come before God with our struggles. You don't have to hide anything. Not that you could anyway, but you don't have to hide anything. It frees us up to be honest about God with our struggles, honest about God with our sin, honest with God about the times when we even lack the desire to obey. And maybe that's where you are this morning. Maybe you're hearing this message and think, okay, I know. I know I need to make some changes. I know there are areas in my life where I've become a spiritual couch potato, where I'm not obeying God. But I, I'm just, I'm struggling with even having the desire. I know what I'm supposed to do, but I'm just struggling with having the desire to having the willpower. See, but this verse frees you up in that because you can come to God and say, God, you said you would give me the desire. That's what I need. You can pray for that before God, knowing that he is the one who is at work to will, to desire. You can pray, Father, change my heart. Give me the desire to obey you. Help me to see sin for the wickedness that it is. Give me the desire to obey you and the desire to flee from sin. See, this verse says it's okay to acknowledge that you can't do it without God's power. And God loves these prayers because God loves to work in us. We must rely on his power as we get to work. And it's too often we're relying on our own power. The pattern here is simple. Pray and get to work, knowing that God is at work in you. But Paul doesn't stop there. He doesn't just give the command to work and the, and the power to work. He also shows us the attitude of work. The attitude. The attitude of our work must be joy. Look at what he says in verse 14. Do all things without grumbling or disputing that you may be blameless and innocent, children of God, without blemish in the midst of a crooked and twisted generation among whom you shine as lights in the world, holding fast to the word of life, so that in the day of Christ I may be proud that I did not run in vain or labor in vain, even if I am to be poured out as a drink offering upon the sacrificial offering of your faith, I am glad and rejoice with you all. Likewise, you also should be glad and rejoice with me. And these verses are pretty straightforward. As Christians seeking to work out your salvation with fear and trembling, we are to be joyous and joyful. We are not to be grumblers and complainers. This text is a blaring reminder that to be a grumbler or a complainer or to have an argumentative spirit is a sin, right? And why? Well, because it's proof of our ungratefulness to God. You, you heard the text we read in our scripture reading about the Israelites grumbling against God. It didn't end well for them. In fact, grumbling and complaining borders on blasphemy because it basically says, God, I don't care what you're trying to do in my life. I don't like it. I'm bitter about it. The person, this is the person that Paul's talking about whose life is characterized by this type of spirit, complaining. The person who always has negative things to say about everyone and everything. The person who always has to argue with everyone. Grumbling or disputing. This is a sin. This attitude is a sin. And look what Paul says. He doesn't leave any wiggle room. He says, do all things. All things means all things. Without grumbling or complaining or disputing. Christians are not to be marked by grumbling or complaining or argumentative attitudes. This is one of those sins that 
for some reason in our culture, we don't take very seriously, right? But this command is, is direct. This is, this is directly connected to what, how we work out our salvation. And, and if you're not sure if you're a grumbler or complainer, well, that's easy. Ask your spouse. Give grace. Take it easy. But, but seriously, that's a, sometimes we, we don't know, right? Maybe you grew up in a family that just complained all the time. You don't realize that you do it, right? So you need to get a little bit of outside perspective sometimes. And that's part of the beauty of fellowship, you can say, hey, has this characterized my life? Yeah, you know, to be honest, sometimes it does. Well, help me with that. Let me know when I'm doing it. That, that's the beauty of, of spiritual friendship and fellowship. We don't have to be ashamed. We're all under grace. So ask a friend. And, and look, at, look at what verse 15 says, though. Our witness for Christ is at stake here. We must not be grumblers or argumentative because then we won't be blameless in the world and we won't shine as lights complaining Grumbling, arguing, ruins our testimony for Christ. Who's going to want to come to Christ when they see your life? I don't want his life. I don't even like being around him. Why would I want to be around his God? No, instead of grumbling and arguing, Paul says, hold fast to the word of life. Hold fast to the gospel, the good news. You see, someone who's characterized by grumbling and complaining is not sound like someone who has good news. Good news is marked by joy. Now, that's not to disregard any of the hard times in our lives. But the gospel is the word of life because it is the message that brings life. And as bearers of this message, we must not be characterized by grumbling and complaining and disputing. We have the message of eternal life, the message of resurrection life. And it is through this message that God awakens dead sinners to life. It is by holding fast to this word of life that we will shine in this twisted and crooked generation, Paul says. And Paul gives evidence of this in his life. See, Paul's in prison, as we've talked about, and yet he refuses to grumble or complain or dispute against God's plan for his life. Doesn't mean it wasn't hard at times for him. You see that in his letters. But he says, even if I'm to be poured out as a drink offering upon the sacrificial offering of your faith, in other words, even if God requires my life, I am glad and I rejoice with you all. And he says, likewise, you also should be glad and rejoice with me. He simply says, look, even if it's God's will for me to be executed, I'm glad and I rejoice because you have faith and God has done that through me. And he says, you too should rejoice. Don't cry for me. Why? Because God is good and he is faithful and he is at work in us. So this morning, God is is calling you to something. What is it? What is it? Do you need to repent and put your faith in Christ for the first time? If you've never put your faith in Christ, this is the first step. You can't work out a salvation you don't have. Turn this morning and trust in his sacrifice. Turn and trust in Christ and throw yourself upon his mercy and he will forgive you of all your sins. Or maybe this morning you need to get to work. Maybe you become a spiritual couch potato. Perhaps you're, you're a believer, but you've just been lazy. You, you've lost your sense of fear and trembling. You've forgotten the gravity of the situation. You've forgotten the wickedness of sin, the greatness of God's love. You've lost your first love. You've, you've lapsed into thinking you don't need to make any effort in your spiritual life. You've lost your desire to grow. Well, the step is simple. Acknowledge your sin to God. Repent. Ask God to renew your desires. 
get to work. Make an intentional step forward. Remember that it is God's good pleasure to do this. Or maybe this morning you need to change your attitude about work. Maybe, maybe your life is marked by complaining and grumbling, arguing. Maybe your life is marked by an argumentative attitude. The step is the same. Acknowledge that it is a sin, right? Don't give yourself, we give ourselves excuses sometimes. That's just how that person is. That's just how I am. Well, if it's a sin, that's a problem. So acknowledge that it's a sin. And it's the same for any other sin. Confess your sin to God. Accept his forgiveness and pray that he changes your heart. Join with brothers and sisters in accountability and ask them to help you work on it. Fight this sin like you would any other. Looking at Christ and working. Or maybe, maybe this morning you're discouraged in your growth. You're, you're trying, but you just don't feel like you're growing. Well, Paul's word to you this morning here is just keep going. Keep moving. Trust that God is at work even if you don't see it and can't feel it. Drink deeply at the well of God's grace. Grab other believers. Again, that's the beauty of this. This isn't an individual call. This is a call to God's people everywhere. We're in this together. Remember that God never promised that we would grow fast, just that we would grow. So don't feel a burden to be somewhere where God is not calling you. Just keep going step by step, step by step. Wherever you are this morning, the message of this text is clear. Work out your salvation with a joyful seriousness, knowing that God is at work in you. Seek to know Christ and make him known. Be intentional. Make make an effort not to earn God's love, but to work out his love in your life. And by God's grace, we will all grow together, step by step, stumble by stumble, side by side in this life. And if we will do this, we will shine bright in this dark generation. And one day we will all stand together with Christ in glory. So my prayer is that God would make this a reality among us here. May God bless our efforts and our work. Like the song says, all glory be to Christ. Would you bow your head? Let me offer this word of scripture over you this morning. Now may the God of peace himself sanctify you completely. And may your whole spirit and soul and body be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. He who calls you is faithful. He will surely do it. Father, we come before you this morning in light of the sacrifice of your Son. We stand in awe. We we behold the wondrous mystery of that, Father. And Father, we're all here in different places, but would you encourage our hearts this morning? Father, speak to us each as individuals. Reveal to us where, where, what we need this morning. Encouragement to get off the couch, whatever it is, Father. Father, we do this all completely and fully dependent on your work in us. And Father, in light of that, we Thank you for working in us, Father. We stand amazed at the fact that you take pleasure in transforming us into the image of your Son. Father, we are so thankful to be your sons and daughters. We are fully and completely reliant on you. 
We thank you for who you are this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. We hope you have enjoyed this week's Walking in Faith podcast. We encourage you to share this podcast with others in order to help spread God's message to all those in need. If you have any questions or comments, we would love to hear from you. Email us at walkinginfaith at orangevilla.org. You can help us spread this podcast by writing a review at iTunes. And don't forget to visit us online at orangevilla.org. There you will find more information about our ministry, as well as share your thoughts, submit prayer requests, and find out how you can help others to grow in God's love. Until next week, may God bless you in everything you do.